That's to all of you dads of E-Free. Can we hear for all the dads here? Happy Father's Day. Dads, we have a special treat for you today uh, throughout the service and also afterwards. In a moment, uh, we're going to ask you to stand, not quite yet, but I want to preview your special gift. And uh, if you're not a dad, uh, you're going to be jealous of this gift. And let me tell you, this is a multi-purpose pocket survival tool. Solid stainless steel. This one tool has 11 uses. There's a saw, a, yes, a saw. There's a can opener, bottle opener, screwdriver, wrench. Uh, it just goes on and on. It can do everything. It'll do your homework, it'll do your dishes, everything. And so, if you are a dad, we want to celebrate you. Can you stand, dads? And you're going to receive this gift. Let's hear it for the dads. Let's keep it going for them. If you're on the patio, please stand up as well, dads, on the patio. We want to make sure we get the dads' gifts on the patio as well. Dads, isn't that a cool tool? That is impressive. Thank you to our wonderful team who thought of that and put together the photo wall as well as the refreshments that you'll all enjoy, okay? Somebody uh, between services uh, didn't go and get a uh, refreshment. And I said, didn't you get your popcorn yet? She said, I thought it was only for the dads. <laughs> it's for everybody, okay? So we all get to enjoy all the refreshments because there are dads here. So be sure to stop by the refreshments table after service. Well, this is an exciting time for our church here. This season is uh, an amazing time where we're seeing God work in so many ways. Early this morning, our team left for paradise, uh, you know, the city of paradise in Northern California. As you know, a few years ago, that city was devastated by a fire, and we sent a team this morning to help with the rebuilding process, but more than that, just to minister to and encourage the community up there, and so we want to be praying for the team who is on the way up to Paradise, California, and also, when we're done here later this afternoon, our junior high students are going to Forest Home Camp, yes, we are so thankful that they have the opportunity to spend a week in the mountains uh, just being close to God. And so uh, please be in prayer for our junior high students. And also, would you pray for Tim and Alexis Callahan, our wonderful leaders? Uh, they're, gonna spend, they're spending an entire week up there with the students, and they're taking a week off of work. This is like their vacation to go and be with these students. Oh, and by the way, did I say that Alexis is pregnant? Yeah, and so she'll be pregnant at the retreat at the camp, uh, spending a whole week with the students. So uh, they're leaving later this afternoon. After service, do me a favor. Seek them out on the patio and just thank them. Thank them in advance for what God's going to do through the Callahans. And we're excited for what God has been doing here at our church. This past Friday night, it was a wonderful occasion. We had movie night under the stars. Wasn't that wonderful? It was so wonderful. Our entire team spent such uh, 
a wonderful, I mean, they, they, they worked so tirelessly to put together a special event. The atmosphere was great. The weather was great. The food was great. The movie was great. Now, I just want you to picture, out on the parking lot, we had this massive screen. You can rent these massive screens. It's like a bounce house, but it's a screen. And they blew up this, you know, big screen, and they played the music. The, the sound was blaring, and it was just spectacular. And so, Thank you to our wonderful outreach team for putting that together for us this past Friday. Well, this morning, I want to share a special message entitled, A Father's Heart. A Father's Heart. Next week, we'll resume our series in the Gospel of Mark. But today, I want to take a moment just to pause and to share this message with all of us. And uh, for the dads out there today, I hope that you will be appreciated throughout the course of today. And I pray that you will experience our Heavenly Father's love and care for you. Fatherhood is challenging. It is very challenging. And we all know that at times, fathers can feel the weight of the shoulders or the world on their shoulders, the burden that they carry on their shoulders. And fathers might oftentimes feel overwhelmed because of this heavy weight. So dads, today I want to encourage you with God's word. And dads, I hope you will walk away full of joy and full of hope and full of encouragement. I say that because over the years, I've heard many messages and I've read many books I've read many articles on the subject of fatherhood, parenthood, manhood. And what I've come to discover is that many of those messages and books and articles, they're based more on societal and cultural stereotypes of what a man should be. And they're not necessarily biblically based. And the irony of all that is, these are Christian messages and Christian books and Christian articles. Maybe this will help. Allow me to explain it this way. One dad's hobbies are not another dad's hobbies. One dad's interests are not another dad's interests. One dad's strengths and weaknesses are not necessarily the strengths and weaknesses of all the other dads. Fathers come in all different shapes and sizes, and I'm not talking physically here, okay? So we're not talking about dad bods right now. We're talking about how we are wired. We're talking about different personalities, the different ways that we express ourselves as men, as fathers, as husbands. You know, there are type A dads out there, go-getters. They're all business. They love structure. They love routine. Other dads, they're just just laid back, happy-go-lucky, just go with the flow. Some dads talk a lot. Other dads, they don't talk much at all. Some dads show a lot of emotion. Other dads, they're very reserved. 
Some dads love working with their hands. They love building things. Other dads, maybe they're not as interested in those kinds of things. I say this because if we focus primarily on personality types or interests or hobbies or cultural norms and stereotypes, the danger is we may mistake those for being God's biblical mandates. And we don't want to confuse those things. Over the years, we've confused, and even within the church, we've confused personal and cultural preferences for God's will. Now, I will say this. Yes, it's nice when a parent might pass on a certain hobby or a interest or maybe even a trade or a craft, and that's common. That's normal, right? A parent takes on a certain interest, and sometimes that's passed on to the younger generation. But please don't equate that with our biblical responsibility to pass down our own interests or our own hobbies. It's okay if our children have completely different hobbies and interests. In fact, it's more than okay. It is wonderful. And by the way, from one household to another, the daily routines that take place in your household might differ greatly from the routines that take place in a household halfway around the world or even in your own community. The Bible doesn't spell out for us, minute by minute, how we are to exhibit fatherhood, manhood, parenthood. It doesn't tell us what chores to do. Did you know that? In fact, I'll go as far as to say this, that certain chores that you might do in your house, they may not even exist in another part of the world. And so if we equate our daily practices with God's will, we may mistakenly mistake those things for a biblical mandate. As I mentioned earlier, when I was younger, uh, I remember attending, or I should say, when I was younger, I remember attending Bible studies, hearing messages, reading books, and oftentimes I'd sit there and I'd go to a conference or a seminar, and the subject would be on like manhood or, or a fatherhood or being a husband. And at that impressionable stage in life, when I was much younger, I thought, hmm, is that how every man has to look? Is that what every man has to be in order to be accepted by God? Now, those teachers who taught those messages, they were sincere. However, as I matured in my faith, I came to the understanding that so much of what they were teaching were cultural norms within their immediate circle of Christianity. And they were confusing those things for biblical mandates. 
And in, in so doing, what they were doing was they were making the Bible say something it never intended to say in the first place. And that's dangerous because it can lead people down the wrong path. So, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about biblical manhood and fatherhood? Well, I'm glad you asked. I invite you to turn to Psalm 127. We'll look at verses 3 through the first part of verse 5. Psalm 127. I'll start in verse 3. The psalmist writes here, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is a man whose quiver is full of them. In verse 3 it says, Children are a gift from the Lord. Did you know that children are not a right? They are a gift. As such, our calling as parents is to steward the gift of our children. And we do that by shepherding their hearts. And that includes fostering an environment that gives the next generation the best possible opportunity to become children of God. Now, in order to fully appreciate verses 3 through 5, we want to go back up to the previous verses. So let's go back up to verses 1 and 2 in Psalm 127. Verse 1 says this, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. The message here is universal. And the message is for every one of us here. Dads, men, moms, women, children, every single one of us. The message is universal. And the message is this. Unless the Lord is in it, our labor is in vain. In all that we do, unless the Lord is in it, our labor is in vain. Education, career choices, dating, Marriage, parenthood, unless the Lord is in it, our labor is ultimately in vain. And that certainly applies to raising the next generation. We are called to steward the gift of children and to shepherd their hearts. Why hearts? Why hearts? Because heart health is so important. I was speaking to one of our members early this morning. He's been having some heart trouble lately spent several days in the hospital. We know how important heart health is. And certainly, the spiritual heart is that much more important. And on that theme, let's turn to Proverbs 4. And we'll look at verse 23. We're called to shepherd the hearts of the next generation because the heart is so important. And Proverbs 4 Verse 23 says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. 
That's why our calling as parents and as spiritual parents here at E-Free Church is to shepherd the hearts of the next generation. To shepherd means to guide, to lead, to direct, to protect. Guide, lead, direct, protect. Let's continue with that theme and stay in Proverbs and go to Proverbs 22 and look at verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says this. Direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Now, one thing that we need to know about this verse is this. The book of Proverbs is not a book of magical formulas. It's not to be read as this transactional agreement. God, if I do this, you must do that. God, if I do this, you are bound to do that. The book of Proverbs is a wisdom book. And a wisdom book gives us general statements of wisdom. They are not a compilation of magical formulas. Unfortunately, sometimes parents, they'll read this verse, and they usually have two different thoughts. One thought is, where did I go wrong? Some parents might look maybe at a child who is going down the wrong path and think, God, where did I go wrong? And then some parents might think, God, I did everything you told me to do. Why is my child going down this path? Well, again, Proverbs is a book of wisdom. There's actually no guarantee. There are so many things that are out of our hands, and that's okay. The one thing that you and I can do, in fact, the best thing that we can do is to foster an environment that provides the best possible opportunity for the next generation to walk with God. And at that point, it's up to every individual to choose that path. Now, how do we shepherd the next generation? You say, Tim, you say, Shepherd the next generation, the hearts of the next generation. That is God's will for us. But how do we do that? Well, here's the answer. And what I'm not going to do is this. I'm not going to give you a 20-point outline where you must follow every single thing on this list in order to be a good parent. Because certainly I'll leave something out. Here's how you and I can best shepherd the hearts of of the next generation. This is for all of us, parents, spiritual parents, anybody here. The way you and I shepherd the hearts of the next generation is simply this. Model Christ. Model Christ. That's it. How do you model Christ? Well, you look at the Gospels, you read the letters, and I'll tell you what, I'll give you a hint. You don't have to look any further than Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8, to learn how to model Christ in your life. Let's turn there. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8. Here is our model. The Apostle Paul writes this, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. 
Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Church, that's our role model right there. That's our role model. Fathers, this is our role model. Men, women, students, anybody here, this is our role model. And by the way, when Jesus came to earth, did you know that he did not empty himself of his divine attributes? He never stopped being God. What he emptied himself of were the rights that he enjoyed, the privileges he enjoyed in heaven. He let go of those rights. And that is about as countercultural as you can get. But let's face it, because let's face it, here in our society, and even in the church, we are told, fight for your rights. Stand up for your rights. And the Bible says Jesus let go of his rights. Men, if you want to know what it means to be manly in the best possible way, Philippians 2 is our answer. Men, manliness does not have to do with personality or hobbies or interests or appearance. It has to do with heart attitude. Machismo is not the answer. You know what machismo is? You know what the dictionary defines as machismo? Here's how the, the, the dictionary defines machismo. Male dominance in everyday life. That is not the answer. Bravado is not the answer. Do you know the difference between bravery and bravado? Bravery is a good thing. Bravery is courageous behavior and character. Bravado is simply a facade intended to impress and to intimidate and to bully. Machismo is not the answer. Bravado is not the answer. And over the years, our society has perpetuated unhealthy masculinity. Phrases like, boys will be boys, only keep that unhealthy and, more importantly, unbiblical masculinity afloat. Now, we might think phrases like, oh, boys will be boys, that that's harmless, when the reality is, it's really just a cover-up for sin. 
So machismo is not the answer. Bravado is not the answer. Those things only perpetuate an unhealthy, unbiblical, and some might call a toxic masculinity. As I mentioned earlier, in my earlier days, I'd listened to a lot of messages on manhood, fatherhood. And again, so many of these messages focused way too much attention on personality types and interests and hobbies and daily activities. But really, what they were based upon much more than the Bible were the cultural norms within their specific circles. And we don't ever want to equate and elevate those things with a biblical understanding of what it means to be a man and a father. If we want to know what biblical masculinity is, uh, just spend a lot of time, in addition to Philippians, uh, just thinking about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the blueprint to follow for all of us, men, women, and children. That is the blueprint because that blueprint is timeless. It transcends any generation. It transcends any culture. Hairstyles come and go. Clothing trends come and go, and they come back around. Oh, by the way, you like my Father's Day shirt? You like it? Thanks, honey. But you see, clothing styles come and go. Hairstyles come and go. Those things don't determine a man. The fruit of the Spirit will never go out of fashion. It'll never go out of fashion. The best way to shepherd the next generation is to model the humble leadership of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is all we have to do. Just model the humble leadership of Jesus. Why? Because the next generation of E-Free Church, they're watching. They're watching what we do, and they're watching what we say. Did you know this? That on the patio, you may not know this, but the younger generation, they watch us on the patio. When we don't think they're hearing us, they are listening. They watch what we do. They hear what we say. And we have an entire generation that needs to see the older generations modeling Christ. And praise God that that's happening. I see that happening. So praise God. Let's continue that. And speaking of generations, this is a good time to review the various generations of our society. You know, every so often we'll, we'll mention the generations because uh, new generations are added, right, every so many years. Okay, so go ahead and take a look up here. These are the current generations in our society. All right, I'm going to go through these and describe, you know, when they were born. Now, in our 9 a.m. service, uh, without my initiation, uh, applause broke out 
you know, with each of these based upon where they fill. I wasn't going to ask anybody that, right? Because that's going to give away your age, okay? But if you want to applaud when I name your generation, so be it, okay? So, the, the oldest generation currently living is the traditionalists, okay? The silent generation. They're staying silent right now. Okay. <laughs> this is like the, the war generation. So they were born either in 1945 or before. That's the traditionalists or the silent or the war generation. Next you have the baby boomers. All right, okay, good. All right, be proud, boomers. Now I know how old you are, okay. Born between 1946 and 64. And then you've got Gen X. Yeah! Come on, Gen X. Where are you? We were born between 1965 and 1980. And then you have Gen Y, the millennials. All right, very, like, very laid back, all right. Born between 1981 and 96. And then we have uh, Gen Z. <laughs> I love it. Gen Z was born between 1997 and 2012. And now the latest generation is called Gen Alpha, okay? And they're all over there, Gen Alpha, right there. Yes! They're all in there. Gen Alpha, born between 2013 and into the future. Now, I share all this because... Here at E-Free Church, we have entire generations of young lives ready to learn about Jesus. These are sharp minds. These are young men and women and children who are eager to be good citizens, who are eager to take good care of our environment, who are eager to show compassion to their neighbors. Members of Gen Z and Gen Alpha, these two generations, they are more racially and ethnically diverse than any generation before it. So this right here, Gen Z and Gen Alpha, they understand what it means to be compassionate and kind to all those around them who are very different than they are. This is also known as the digital generation. They are digital natives. That means, in other words, they have little or no recollection of life before our current technology. For them, a smartphone is not a smartphone. It's just a phone. They don't know the difference. It's just a phone, right? And so for them, they don't know what this is. What is this, right? <laughs> don't do this to them. Okay, it's, it's like this. Or more like this, right? They don't know what this is. It's just this. Don't do this. Don't, don't, do, don't do this. <laughs> You'll date yourself. 
Church, we have entire generations here at our church eager to learn about the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of a subculture or an ideology. They're ready to learn about the Jesus of the Bible. So let's give them nothing less than the Jesus of the Bible. Let's model Christ and his humble leadership in our homes and in our church. I want to spend the final few moments reading a portion of a parable that is well-known, probably one of the most well-known parables. It's found in Luke chapter 15. I invite you to turn there. We'll look at verses 20 to 24. Luke 15, verses 20 to 24. You can follow along as I read this portion of this parable. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Maybe you know the story. This is one of two sons. And this son went to his father and said, Dad, Give me my inheritance right now. Now, what that means is this. In that culture, if you went to your dad and asked or demanded your inheritance, that was another way of saying, Dad, I wish you were already dead. So the son took his inheritance, went off, and wasted it away. And he finally came to his senses. Now, Imagine if you're the crowd listening to this parable. Jesus is getting ready to tell the punchline. And when the crowds gather to hear Jesus say this parable, right before Jesus shared this passage, verses 20 to 24, they were waiting for something else. They were waiting for Jesus to say something just the opposite. So when Jesus said, the Father ran to the sun. The crowds were in shock. Their jaws dropped to the floor. They were expecting just the opposite. They were expecting Jesus to say, when the father saw his son coming from a distance, the father sat at his kitchen table with his arms folded, pointing his finger and thinking, that son of mine, he'd better come crawling on his hands and knees. But no, Jesus said the father got up and he ran to his son. Church, do you know how significant that is? In that culture, fathers did not run. 
It was beneath fathers to run. They waited for people to come to them. They waited for people to wait on them hand and foot. For a father to run meant this. He would have to pick up his garment, expose his legs, which was an embarrassment, and run. And that's exactly what the father did. And he ran to his son. And before the son could utter a single word of apology, the father embraced him. Do you know where the son came from? He had come from a pig pen. He smelled like pigs. But the father didn't care. He embraced him and would not let him go. He kissed his son even before a single word of apology. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for a long, drawn-out apology before he sent his son for us. God demonstrated his own love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. We sang the song earlier. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. We sang in another song as well. The father is running after us. On this Father's Day 2022, as we remember our Heavenly Father's heart for us, may we have that same love for one another. To all my fellow dads out there who at times throughout the day we think, am I enough? Am I doing enough? Just remember this. What God calls us to do is to shepherd our children's hearts with the humble leadership of Jesus Christ. That's all we have to do. That is all we have to do is to be like Jesus. Moms and dads, men and women, students, all you have to do is be like Jesus. You don't have to fulfill a checklist of things to determine if you are a good dad or a good mom. There's only one box. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus today and every day. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for days like today. I also, Lord, recognize that days like today might be hard for many. You see, because nobody grew up in a perfect family. And days like this might be reminders that, well, my upbringing was not all that great. I didn't have great memories as a child. But Father, we thank you for days like today because it also reminds us that we have a perfect Father in heaven. And it also reminds us, Lord, that you've called each one of us, no matter where we are in our life, that we are to be like Jesus. We are to model Jesus. Ultimately, it's not about personality types 
or hobbies or interests. Lord, those things, they, they're so culturally bound. And they differ from one culture to another. But Father, Jesus transcends all generations and all cultures. And Father, if I can be reminded every morning when I wake up to, to be a humble leader like Jesus, that's the best thing I can do. And so, Father, thank you for the reminder through your word today. I do pray for my fellow dads. I pray for every one of us here today that we would be encouraged, God, that we would leave full of hope and joy and encouragement, Lord, because we've been here, we've been in your presence. And so we ask, God, that you would bless the rest of today as we celebrate, Lord, be in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.